Right, and now I'm going to hand you over to Nigel to quiz the book doctors. Thanks, Cathy. I was thinking that we always call this the book doctors section, but for new listeners, we don't really explain what we're doing. So here's another way of looking at it. We ask lovely, knowledgeable bookshops to give readers tips on what to read next. So really, they're a bit more like book coaches and doctors. Anyway, enough of that. Let's meet our two guests today. From Bedford, we have Rachel Rogan of, wait for it, Rogan's Books. And from my favourite city, Edinburgh, it's Julie Danskin from Golden Hair. Welcome to you both. Hi, nice to be here. So, Julie, let me ask you first about a rather exciting night out in London about three weeks ago. Do you remember that? Uh, what was that all about then? Somehow, unbelievably, Golden Hair Books won Independent Bookshop of the Year. It was amazing. It was such a good party. I did have slightly, as my dad would say, um, sore hair the next day. <laughs> um, it was a great celebration with lots of bookseller friends um, and publishers and everything. It was really wonderful. Um, we did not expect our name to be called at all. Um, there's some amazing bookshops on that shortlist and then ones that weren't. And it's just a, a real privilege. Yeah, it's been an amazing three weeks. Everyone, all of our customers, I think, feel like it's for them as well. Which well, is it really is. Lovely. Yeah. 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 I like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and a great son of Edinburgh presented you with the prize, I think. Absolutely. The the one and only Ian Rankin, yeah. um, who's a good friend of the shop. He's actually chairing an event for us next week. So, um, yeah, he said that he should get half of the prize money. So, um. <laughs> so mean. And for people who don't know you, whereabouts in Edinburgh are you? You're not bang in the middle. We're not. We're down in um, Stockbridge, which is a lovely, um, quite leafy but vibrant suburb of the city. But it feels it's got like a, lots of independent shops, and the street we're on, St Stephen Street, is quite famous for um, vintage boutiques and little um, indie shops and that kind of thing. And there's a real community. There's a real buzz about the place. We've got a Sunday market, which brings loads of people. It's, it's really great. It's a lovely. It's a lovely community. Yeah, well, that sounds nice. So, well, I'll be up in August, so I'll come and see you then. So. Oh, please do. That would be lovely, yeah. That would be great, Nigel. Please do. And, Rachel, I was reading about Rogan's books in the bookseller, and it sounded like you had an absolute nightmare in 2017. <laughs> what what happened, and how did it turn out? Uh, we did. We had a little bit of a, a rocky start. We um, we started out in a what I thought was a beautiful premises right in the heart of one of our loveliest suburbs in Bedford. And pretty much from the word go, we had uh, problems with water leaking from the flats above. That's not great for books, is it? (laughs) Books don't really like to be underwater. It's not the best (laughs) of situations. And so we moved and we had the most amazing response from our local community because when we had to close and we had to move everything into my house whilst we found a new premises and whilst we moved across, and this kind of underground book buying market (laughs) came about where people would message me and ask me for a recommendation and I'd go into my back room clamber over boxes of books find something that was suitable they'd then come to my doorstep, hand over some money I'd scribble out a receipt and give them the book it was all very dodgy yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing and if you expect us to believe that story you know, that, that, you know, Bedford police are on their way as we talk uh, there was an actual story about in the Bedford newspaper recently about an old gentleman who was carefully cultivating a very um, a very specific type of plant in his garden <laughs> that had been from the previous residence and he had no idea what it was and it was there in his front garden flourishing. Oh, fantastic. With, <laughs> with alleged health benefits, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's fantastic. So now we know a bit more about you. Let's go on to the... Um, the picks, and we'll start with you, Julie. And the, our first person here is um, Sharon, who lives in Brixton. She's an office manager, and she's just finished Ordinary People by Diana Evans, which was, um, of course, on the shortlist for the Women's Prize for Fiction, which um, Cathy was talking about earlier. She's going on holiday in a couple of weeks, so she wants you know a nice, big, absorbing book uh, to last her the long flight. So, Julie, what are you going to 
give for her? Sounds a kind of classic summer reads type thing. Yeah, so I just read um, this amazing, um, sprawling, big doorstop of a book. The only thing I would say that is slightly against it is that it is still in hardback, but um, it's The Parisian by Isabella Hamad, um, who's a British-Palestinian writer who's like 27 or something. It's ridiculous because this novel is just incredible. It's from Jonathan Cape. Um, and I really needed a novel to get my teeth stuck into as well. Um, and I absolutely loved it. It's set between France and Palestine from the beginning of the First World War to just before World War Two. And I remember um, Sharon said that she likes books where she can learn something new. And I definitely did from this. You learn all about Palestine just in its various occupations. It starts off um, following this young man, Midat, who is fresh from schooling in um, Istanbul and he moves to Montpellier to train as a, a doctor and meets a woman in France who he falls in love with and it's, but it sort of ends terribly and then he moves to Paris. He then moves back to Palestine um, and that's where most of the novel takes place but it's this big sprawling epic of just what's happening to Palestine and yeah. happening to the world in this incredibly tumultuous period and, but it's also all about his kind of his falling in love and like struggling to make it and he's known as the Parisian when he gets back to his hometown in, in Palestine and because he's he's sort of fallen in love with fashion and all this it's just really amazing it's kind of like Middlemarch I guess but okay, um, in the way that yeah. yeah in the way that lots of characters do things you don't want them to do but oh I just absolutely loved it it would just you would get com- completely absorbed on it on a plane it's perfect for a flight yeah and I, I do like those books where it's a fictional book, but you're also learning a lot about a period or a place that you, you wouldn't necessarily have come across before. So, Rachel, what, what were you going to suggest for Sharon? Well, I'm poor Sharon's going to have a bad back by the time she comes home. <laughs> I've also gone for a, I've also gone for a doorstop of a book. Two thousand <laughs> um, pages of your best. Books. <laughs> another, another, another hefty hardback. Um, this one, I think, I'm hoping she hasn't already read because it's been quite popular recently. But we chose it as our online book club. We have a, an online book club for introverted readers who would like to be part of a book club but oh, don't really want sweet. to have to go out and speak to oh, people I love that. um yeah well a lot of booky people are like that and book clubs can yeah. be quite intimidating um so we went for queenie by candice yeah. and we just loved it and you know she likes books about relationships and you know she can learn something new and we, we chose this because we just got really passionate about this kind of self-destructive young woman coming out of a relationship looking to make better choices you know looking to find a place um, and, and we just thought the writing was amazing. I mean, you know, it is a big book, as requested, but at the same time, I think you fly through it because you just become completely immersed in Queenie's life. And, you know, it's frank and it's funny and you experience her heartbreak and her trials in a really real way, which is actually a very powerful thing to have achieved, given that, you know, I don't know what it's like to be a 25-year-old Jamaican-British woman living in London. Um, but it's still extremely relatable, and you're completely drawn into her world. Uh, well, those those are both very good choices. Of course, Sharon didn't tell us where she's going on holiday, so let's hope she's not just <laughs> flying to Brussels or something, otherwise she's going to have to read very, very quickly. <laughs> um, but um, So moving on to our second person, who's David, and he's from Leeds, and he's a teacher. Um, uh, the last book he read was When Did You Last See Your Father? Blake Morrison, well-known book there. Uh, he normally reads non-fiction, mainly history and politics, and his dad's just been diagnosed with lung cancer, which is a very sad situation. So he, I think he's after books about fathers and sons in this situation, or maybe fathers and sons generally. And we've got, well, depending when people are listening to the podcast, it's either Father's Day just coming up or it was just recently Father's Day. So what, what do you think for David, Julie? 
just first of all, David, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, I lost my dad last year to melanoma. It's just so hard. Um, and books are a real solace, you know. Um, so Around the Fathers and Sons, I really want to recommend Kid Gloves, A Voyage Around My Father by Adam Mars-Jones, which I read a few years ago. And it's about a man who ends up looking, caring, being so carer for his widowed father, um, who is diagnosed with dementia. So it's dementia rather than cancer, but it's about that responsibility of care and as well as his own experience um, and how it affects his writing and re- um, responding to his relationship with his father over the time. It's really um, a really special book and really explores that dynamic, especially when the mother is gone as well, that, that dynamic really fundamentally changes, which is really, really interesting. And also just, I hope I can tack up one on, which is a book Ooh, that really helps me go through. A sneaky second It's a book that I think, I'm always trying to put into people's hands. We have a lot of people come into the bookshop who say that they're grieving or, you know, that they're uh, anticipating um, loss, um, which is, it's okay that you're not okay by Megan Devine. It sounds a bit self-helpy, but actually it's a book about our culture and how we don't talk about grief and we're just supposed to try to return to a happy place as soon as we can. And actually, it's a really wonderful book. Um, she's got a brilliant Instagram as well, and she uses sort of case studies. Um, so something like that might be quite helpful as well. Those are both very good choices and very thoughtful quite ones different. as well. Yeah, quite different, yeah. Um, <laughs> And Rachel, where were you heading on this? So we're hosting Ed Docs for an event um, as part of Independent Bookshop Week. And his book, Let Go My Hand, I felt very much ticked the boxes. Um, mm. And I, I, I was, again, very hesitant to recommend it because having lost my own father as well, I know how sensitive a subject this is. But Ed just does such a wonderful, um, like a heartfelt job of navigating the reader through this this very difficult journey. Um, and it's it's the story of a father's, decision to uh, end his life at Dignitas and a journey with his three sons, their last trip together. He has the potential to be a very kind of harrowing read, yeah. but he does it with a nice touch of dark comedy to stop it being too melancholy. And also David mentioned he, he prefers nonfiction and he likes historical and political books. And all this is a fictional story. There is philosophical debate in there and, and the, the, the brothers hold opposing views but there isn't really any antagonism and perhaps at the moment we could all learn a lot from that in the way that we're dealing with things um but i also looked for something else and and pops fatherhood in pieces by michael shaban is um a collection Mm. of essays about what it is to be a father um and it's literary so it's not as on topic but it might give him a better sense of feelings that his dad has for him and, and and feelings in general between fathers and sons Oh, those are great. And um, Kathy always says that she you know, she doesn't join in in the section. But if you were here, you'd see her nodding and smiling. <laughs> so, uh, yes, so. I kept nodding. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on to our third and final person. And this is Maria, who lives in Leicester. She's retired. And uh, like many a person, she's been rereading Hilary Mantel's first two books in uh, anticipation, no doubt, of March next year. She loves historical fiction and she knows that no one can compare to Hilary Mantel, what she says. That, <laughs> that. Um, mm-hmm. But are there any authors that come close? She likes reading about the Tudors, but I, I'm sure other historical periods are available. So, Julie, what are you going to do to rival Hilary Mantel for her? Oh, Maria, girl, I feel your pain. The mirror and the light not come fast enough. Oh, my goodness. Um, so the closest thing is um, Janet McCullough's um, biography of Thomas Cromwell, which I believe is endorsed by Hilary Mantel and is incredibly readable. I've not read all of it, but I'm sort of dipping into it slowly, and it's, it's really, really good. But what I'd actually like to recommend is another novel, which is Painter to the King by Amy Sackville, which came out 
last year and for some reason was completely overlooked in the awards circuit, which I think is a travesty because it's one of the best books I've read recently. Um, and it's been the first novel to scratch that Hilary Mantel itch for me. So it's 17th century rather than 16th century, but it's about the artist Diego Velázquez during his time as a court painter to Felipe IV of Spain. Um, so it's a, li- a little bit later on, but it's just so inventive. Um, in the bookshop, I, I recommend this a lot. And, and often to people who are looking for something after they've finished the, the, the first two Cromwell books, it's, I'd say it's a blend of Hilary Mantel and Ali Smith, who are two of my favourite writers. Um, and it is more that experimental side. But then, you know, I'd really argue that Hilary Mantel is quite an experimental writer as well. It's really vivid and almost poetic at places, but funny, desperately sad, and really exposes the lives of these people at this time as much as it's possible to understand people who are living so long ago and such different lives from us. But I, I absolutely loved it. Um, painter to the King, yeah, loved it. There's always something about the lives of painters, isn't there? They're always picked up on. Rachel, what, what were you going for in this kind of post Hilary Mantel period? Well, I wouldn't try to compete with Hilary. <laughs> so I've gone completely off-piste and I've gone for a, an entirely different historical period and one that we feel quite infinity with um, here in Bedford. It's The Rapture by Claire McGlatton. Um, it's a historical piece, but it's quite modern in terms of its its positioning in time. Um, and Claire wrote the book set in the Panacea Society, which was a, a what's been referred to as a terribly English cult that was established here in Bedford um, about 100 years ago. And the, the Panacea Society story itself is completely fascinating. And I drag anybody who will come with me to the museum to look around and to learn about these wonderfully eccentric women who set up this religion at a time when women had no agency at all. And the rapture is just wonderful. I just think it's got real warmth and, and Claire's ability to create a sense of place and time is is amazing. And it has these very complex layered characters. She's done an awful lot of research. There's an an awful lot of detail and it's historically very, very accurate. Um, So it's something very different to Hillary, but I think something that would maybe keep her going in the interim. (laughs) What was the period there? For my sins, I I know nothing about the Panacea Society. Now, I don't want to get this wrong. I think we're talking Edwardian period. So the 20s, yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit earlier than that. Okay. But basically, it's set. Um, in, it's a very, it's a true story, um, and the Panacea Society was a religion, and they believed that their leader was the mouthpiece of God, and they were waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And on the street next to the bookshop is the house where Jesus oh, is going to fantastic. grow up. Fantastic! It's fascinating. It's bonkers, and I absolutely adore it. And I spend as much time in there as possible, wandering around with this macabre sense of these insane dotty old women over 100 years ago well fascinating and bonkers we'll take that so, uh... <laughs> can i really naughtily allow myself a little interruption no you cannot <laughs> <laughs> i just would also like to say i'm also unbelievably desperately excited about the third hillary mantel i'd just like to chuck in a recommendation for sj paris's giordano bruno novels mm. um, because they're very good and also if you haven't read them already there are i think five or six of them and another one coming later on next year the first one I think is called Heresy and then you could read the other five or six and then read the new Hilary Mantel and then read the new SJ Paris the month after that so but they're very good thrillers um, yeah. but they're just they're really good really dense really clever really well written really absorbing so I, I guess we probably can let Cathy keep that <laughs> <laughs> okay general consensus yes Cathy you are allowed we'll so. allow it 
Julie, uh, Rachel, before you leave us and head back to the shelves, back to the shops, um, what about giving me one book that you want everyone to read? New or old book, well-known, hidden gem, um, just you know, something you really want to champion. Julie, you go first. I give this an awful lot of thought because it's so difficult. But I think really it has to be, for me, A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Zeki. I don't know if it's a hidden gem because it was on the, the Man Booker shortlist um, a few years ago, but I just feel like not enough people have read this book. It's a really beautiful novel and I put it into a lot of people's hands. And Canongate, um, one of our favourite publishers, are one of That's our locals. because they're in has, Edinburgh, yes. Yeah, they threw us a great party, actually. Oh, after fantastic. Reading. Yeah, it was really lovely. Uh, yeah, so we, we really like those guys. But they um, they published a new edition of Tales for the Time Being into their canon series with a really beautiful redesign, which um, I believe was done by their junior designer. And it's just gorgeous. So it's a beautiful looking book. And it is the story of um, now and a sort of fictional version of the author, Ruth, who are separated by an ocean. Ruth finds washed up on the beach she lives in British Columbia, a lunchbox which has this diary of this young girl in Tokyo who's having a terrible time. And she's trying to piece together this, this girl's life as well as experiencing her own. Um, and it's, it's just wonderful. Tale for the time being is about humans are time beings like we are beings in time and so it plays with time it plays with place um and it's oh, it's just one of the most exquisite novels i've ever read it's so original and stunning well that is fantastic and again kathy is beaming her head off at that choice Yay! Uh, I, 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 I love that book so much <laughs> and and rachel are you going for an adult pick or are you going for a children's book because we should have said you're you're fundamentally your children's bookshop there down there I am. I am. The book that I always recommend to people is that they're, they're kind of in the middle. You'd probably call them YA, but not your well-known books. Um, I usually, the book that I sell the most of, and until recently it was one of my little hidden gems that nobody had heard of, was by two not very well-known authors at all, I say very much tongue-in-cheek, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, which yeah. is Good Omens, <laughs> which of course now everybody yeah. knows about, and it's no longer my little secret. <laughs> and so I can't have that as my... So instead, I will go for the other one, that I indoctrinate half of the customers and half of the staff and half of the population of Bedford into buying. And they're all cursing me now because they're sucked into my obsession. And that's a series called The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. And it's a series of 14 books. So, you know, I'm playing a long game and I'm ensuring that I bring them back. <laughs> yeah. and, and each one is very much a doorstep book. And like Juliet, they play with the concept of time. Uh, there are fantasy novels set in uh, another period, another age that, is reminiscent and, and contains the mythology and some of the sometimes science, sometimes fantasy of, of different epochs of our own periods, but does it in the world building that Robert Jordan creates is it's like he's taken Tolkien and just taken it stratospheric. And I am completely obsessed with these books and I've been reading them for over 20 years and I go back and reread them again. And once you get sucked into this cult, you never get out alive. And it's the, I, they're my favourite series ever. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I didn't know those. Were, and did you say, are the Robert Jordan books YA books as well? Are they also well, somewhere in between? E or what? They are somewhere in between. I, I, people say that you would probably start reading them. I would say a precocious 11-year-old. I came to them as an adult. Um, but they, they are theoretically for from 11 and upwards. I, I, again, they're, they're very detailed. Each book is like a doorstop. There are 14 of them. It's you, 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 it's a commitment. I did it over 20 years eventually um, because I kind of, you get to, there's, there's something commonly known in the fan field as the slog, 
which is around books nine to ten, where you just start losing the will to live because there are so many um, storylines and there are so many characters and he's just tying up loose ends that you just really have to be committed. And then, you know, but if you get through it, it's, it, the payoff is huge. Fantastic. Well, listen, both of you, you've been absolutely brilliant and thanks for all the recommendations. So we'll let you get back to the book selling now to those lovely customers. So thanks so much and, and bye and we'll see you soon. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Weren't they just fantastic, Cathy? Um, oh, just and, lovely. Yeah. And and before we finish with those absolute favourites there too, um, can I tell you mine? Yeah, go on. The book is At the Lock of the Green Corrie and the author is Andrew Gregg. Uh, I love this book. It's about Scotland, hills, male friendships, mental health. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. Whiskey, the poet Norman McHaig, who I didn't know until I'd read this. Now, my colleague at the bookseller, Emma Lowe, and her team knew I loved it. It's on the bookseller website. We all have our favourite books on there. And she arranged to get Andrew to sign a copy and, and put a personal message in it for a, a recent big birthday. A we recent say? big like, birthday. A recent big birthday, yes. So I just wanted to say, it was, it was such a special thing. And so if Emma's listening, thanks again. And, and Andrew, if you're listening, I hope you're listening, um, we'll have that lunch. And, and everyone else, just buy this book. It is absolutely bona fide wonderful. <laughs> 